на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the RFN podcast. The Premier League returned at the weekend, and we're going to start today by taking some time to cover the big events in a red card strewn set of fixtures. Elsewhere in the world of Russian football, a certain former Dinamo footballer and manager stormed the headlines in what's been referred to as Kobolev Gate, and the Fenerel has also returned this weekend. As usual, I'm joined by David. Good evening, good evening. Richard. Good evening, everybody. How are we all? And make it a long-awaited return after three years out from the podcast, Ilya Sokolov. Hi, what's up? So, Ilya, we'll start with you straight away. As you, the, uh, the resident Lokomotiv Moscow expert, how did you watch their victory over Siska at the weekend? Yeah, so I went to the game. I was really happy to come back to the stands. And uh, as usual, uh, there was a great match day uh, at the stadium the concert and uh, a lot of entertainment stuff and uh one thing i was really happy about is they finally returned uh free tea and coffee to the press box that's what i was expecting because they yeah. <laughs> it's just about to ask how was how was all the food and what, what did you get was it just tea and coffee or did you have the food in the press this time as well yeah, unfortunately, just tea and coffee, but it wasn't limited and much better than on the previous RPL game this season because uh, uh, I've got food only on Champions League game, but nothing, no tea, no coffee on uh, other RPL games. So uh, it was good, especially in uh, in February because it's, it's hard to survive on the, <laughs> on the press box without anything like that. I don't want to pay for for tea if I come to the press box. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, so I, I was really happy even before the game. Well, well, yeah. What I saw uh, on the pitch also entertained me a lot. Uh, first of all, as you all might know, uh, welcome to got new tactics. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe because of some injuries. Maybe it's just. Uh, uh, Nikolic uh, thought it, was, it would suit Lokomotiv better, but uh, now we play uh, with uh, four four two diamond, uh, uh, and uh, right now like Jamalidinov is uh, Lokomotiv's number ten instead of Miranchuk, who is probably injured. Uh, besides him, there are Krikoviak, Muhin, and Kulikov, and. Uh, Probably Baranov when he's be more like healthy play instead of uh, one of these guys. And also a funny thing that uh, Rybczynski, who was a winger, he's now a uh, right back. And I, I don't know if any other team in RPL has such a situation because, because all of our backs uh, are former wingers, like Matthew Ribus was a winger, uh, Lisov was a forward, and Ignatiev, who doesn't play as a back right now, but he did, he's also a winger, so <coughs> Lokomotiv actually doesn't have uh, defenders, real true defenders on both sides. Mm. So, so you mentioned... Yeah. 
privately to myself before the game that you were a little bit worried about uh, Dmitry Lubchinsky at right back, thinking that maybe that could be a, a, a way that Siska could expose Lokomotiv on the day. Now, of course, Lokomotiv did come out as 2-0 winners, but how did you think Rubchinsky did in, in that position defensively? Was he exposed by Zinutinov and Vlasic and such? I'm pretty sure that was a plan because Vlasic uh, uh, was put on the on left wing and he played a lot against Rubchinsky one on one and uh, <clears throat> he actually succeeded playing against Rubchinsky but uh, uh, the CSK didn't win anything of didn't get anything of it because Flash it was actually isolated so uh, that's why I guess CSK moved him to the center in the second half and <clears throat> but yeah sometimes it, it it really did look dangerous but um, I don't know maybe CSK was also afraid of uh, Rybczynski's skills uh, when he comes forward, so uh, they maybe they didn't put so many players in this zone. Uh, yeah, th- that's why it didn't work. What I really liked about about Nikolic's tactics and this kind of new look setup that he's got is is just the pace and power that's throughout Loco's team. Now, David, you've mentioned quite a few times that you're surprised that Vitaly Lasakovic doesn't start more often. Were you impressed by his performance and? goal that he took very well? Well, I think um, I mean, it was a very it was a very well-taken goal, certainly. Um, I think in general, without, without seeing the stats, it seemed to me as if um, Loco, obviously they took an early lead and it seemed like they then um, sat off quite heavily. Um, they didn't have a lot of chances after that and they were looking mainly for the counters. So Lesakovic um, was quite, I would say, not isolated, but you know he wasn't involved as much as he could have been. Um, but they just took their chance. Well, they took that one chance and then got another current attack later on in the half, took that as well. Um, very, very well, obviously, from distance with uh, Krikoviak. Um, but it's, you know, it's something we wanted, obviously, with Eder and Smolov, you're looking at, uh, and Zelowish, who are all missing. Um, and even when they are around, they're not necessarily guys who are, who you're going to put in there and defenders are going to be worried about necessarily. Um, but Zakovic has the mobility, which can could frighten defenders. And obviously, in this particular game, it was Victor Vassin starting for Siska, which is not ideal. And um, you know, he, it was Lasakovic who beat him in a duel for the first goal. You know, um, you know, had the ball, beat him with a with a nice little chop inside onto his left foot, and fired it in at the near post past uh, Pomazun, who's obviously making his not debut but his first start back uh, to cover Akinfeu, who's obviously out with COVID. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good performance from Loco. They did they just did what they needed to do early doors and then defended resolutely. You know, Siska had a normal, had a very standard Siska performance. I was talking to a guy who happened to watch the game, doesn't watch the Russian League at all um, from Scouted. And he'd, he just said uh, exactly what we've been observing with Siska a lot. You know, they, t- they created a lot of chances, but nothing was actually a clear chance and they did not take any of the chances. So um, yeah, easy, easy for Loco in the end, really. Yeah, it was, and Siska have actually got quite a good record in Moscow derbies against both Spartak and Dynamo. They haven't lost against either either of those sides since twenty nineteen in the league. 
But now against Lokomotiv, Siska's record is just absolutely horrendous. It'll probably please Ilya to to no end that Loko are now unbeaten in six against against Siska, having won the last four and five of those six in general. So it's Richard, what's 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 your thoughts from a Siska point of view? Did you were you a little bit um disappointed by Siska's performance, or was it maybe just Loko on the day with a better side, with a better game plan that executed it far stronger? I think it was a bit of um, both of those factors, actually. I thought um, Siskar certainly had their chances, but um, I thought Lokomotiv played well. Um, I love Lisakovic's first goal. Um, the, just that touch to set himself up, and then he lashed it home past Pomazun. It was a lovely strike, and I echo David's thoughts. I really want to see him um, starting more. You know, I really um, felt that before the winter break, and I'm hopeful that he'll get some more opportunities. And um, it was nice to see Kamano provide an assist as well for Krihoviak and that second goal, which he absolutely lashed home um, into you know the top corner. Pomazun had absolutely no chance with that one. So it was nice to see um, Kamano um, show some of the talent that we thought you know he was going to display in the first half of the season when he when he came in from Bordeaux. You know, he, two years ago he had a very good reputation in France's league, and hopefully. Um, he can uh, now start show that on a consistent basis. The player I, I was really impressed with was Pablo. I really, really liked him at, at centre half in central defence. I thought he looked he looked really good, assertive. He he cleared up balls. He organised defence along along with um, Choluka at the back. And yeah, they kept they kept um, Siska, you know, marshalled really well. Guillaume actually made a very good save in the um, second half as well. Very good double save from um, I think it was. I think it was from Vassin's header and then he saved the follow-up as well. Both really good saves. So I think it was a combination of two things, um, but it's definitely a good win for Lokomotiv and good to see youngsters like Mukin and um, Kulikov get games and brilliant to see Dmitry Baranov back from his ACL injury at the end and hopefully he can have ease back into the first team and stay fit uh, because uh, Russia will definitely need him for the European Championships in the summer and Lokomotiv will need him too for the running. Yeah, it was really nice to see, see Baranov. I think... Both Kulikov and Mukin have have filled in quite well for Baranov, but you could just see the whole the whole place lift when Baranov came on. Uh, it was really nice to see because it's been quite a nasty injury. But um, did, Richard, you did mention there that a certain Francois Camano has been had, had played better at least than he has in the first half of the season. Ilya, what are Lokomotiv's fans' thoughts in general, maybe about Camano? Is he? performing better in a more central role than he did out wide? Yeah, I can only say what I think about Kemana. I, I, I'm pretty sure he is much better uh, up front, like playing as a forward, because well, when he was playing deeper, he usually uh, held the ball too much, like, you know, like Fernandes in his bad days. Uh, so uh, I, I like that he doesn't have time to make decisions. That's why he just scores or pass and he does it pretty well because his assist to Krihovic was uh, brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. And I think the one last thing I'd like to mention on this game is is we had a Hall of Fame banter era thread mentioned possibly for at some point during the game, if if anyone hasn't realised, check out the RFN Twitter feed for where Hanu's putting together a, a banter era thread of essentially most ridiculous moments in the RPL history. And I think Nikola Vlasic taking a corner and accidentally kicking the corner onto the ball 
is arguably going to be up there at one point, maybe in the future. Uh, but to, to move on to the next game and staying in Moscow, uh, Richard, how did Dinamo perform perform this weekend? Yeah, the, um, it was a tale of two halves, actually, with Dinamo's game, I think, against uh, Martin Grozny. First half, I thought they played very, very well indeed. Um, they scored two. I mean, the first goal, I mean, looked at it, 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 I think it was a penalty. The Yakmat defender was a little bit unlucky, but it did hit his arm. And given that, the way that some of them have been given in the league recently, I think if, they, if you're going to give the other ones as a penalty, you're probably going to have to give that one as well. Um, second goal was um, was scored by Arsene Zakarian, who, you know, is a player of real um, promise and potential. He featured on the Guardian's uh, 2020 best 60 young players in the world. And um, he put in a good, a good display, I thought, at the weekend. Uh, Daniel Fomin was my man of the match. I thought he was absolutely brilliant in all aspects of Dinamo's midfield. Um, the second half was a bit sloppy, though. Um, and I noticed this happened early on in the season against Tamboff away as well uh, with Dinamo. They started well in the first half, then let the opposition back into the game and you know conceded a goal when they were 2-0 up and you know, neither lost it. They were a bit lucky in the second half that... Um, Tim O'Fay have got sent off for Atmats. I think that uh, that quelled Atmats' momentum a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, um, a bit of a tale of two halves that. But um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good first half performance. And nonetheless, even if second half tailed off a touch, which is something they might have to improve on in the future, to get a win away at Atmat is always you know well earned and always a good a good scalp because they're a very hard side to beat. Um, away from home, so that was a good win. A good win overall. Still aspects of the performance that need tidying up. Yeah, I agree, Richard. I thought Dinamo were excellent in the first half, and then the second. I think complacency is exactly the right words. That just obviously you thought the game was won by then, but I was likewise very impressed by Arsen Sakayan. David, what did what did you think about the youngster? Yeah, he did. Um, he did really well. I mean, from what I'd seen of him before, seen and read. Um, because you know it's hard, it's hard to find PFL stuff. Um, you know he had always been playing as a as a deeper midfielder or a central midfielder, um, playmaking or or bursting from deep. Sort of was like I don't know. I picture it sort of like an early Aaron Ramsey sort of sort of style. Um, but he was sort of he was deployed out on the on the right flank almost, or certainly as an attacking forward. Sort of I think he, for a period he was even as a striker. So he'd swap places with Gruel. It seemed to me. So it was interesting to see him in a more advanced role than what I had seen him before, because I, you know, I'd never seen him in the bits and glimpses that I've seen. He was always playing deeper. Um, but you know, for a seventeen-year-old, he, you know, he he looked very confident, um, and you know, he took his took the chance well. Although it was a bit of a scuffed finish in the end, he had to stretch for it, but he made the chance well. Let's just say that instead uh, for his goal, which he obviously scored, and I think is there. Uh, second or third youngest scorer of all time for Dino. Um, so yeah, very promising. It's it's great to see a manager in Russia trusting someone this this young. Obviously, um, I think he's the youngest player to start a league game this season uh, in the RPL. And you don't get Russian managers doing that very often. Obviously, last year the only young player who was playing really regularly was Vadim Karpov um, at that age. So um, it's nice to see Schwartz come in and do this. He's putting a lot of faith in a lot of the young players there um, out of the academy. And uh, Zakarian, as we know, is he's highly rated. You know, he, he made the Guardian uh, top 60 for this year. So it's nice to see him actually progress rather than sort of sitting stale in the academy like some some players that age may, do, may, may well do, particularly in Russia. 
Yeah, definitely. It's nice to see Schwartz giving other youngsters as well, like Tukavan, a good go. Now, Tukavan didn't play any minutes at, in this match of the weekend, but there's been quite a few times this season where Schwartz has seen him as his go-to man up front as opposed to Nikolai Komlachenko, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. been absolutely dreadful this season. Yeah, like versus Spartak, you mean? So you mentioned Spartak, uh, David. I'll come straight back to you. You, I guess, you enjoyed the Rubian win over the weekend. Ah, oh, very much, very, very much. It was. I, I was worried. I'll be honest, because Quincy's record against Rubian the first time around, his, during his first spell in Russia, was was horrendously good. So I was just thinking the wave that Spartak were going to be riding on was just going to knock us over, despite how well we were been playing over the winter break. Um. But we went out there and Rubin played a very, very good game. Um, they they deployed their, their tactics well. Of, you know, they weren't they knew they weren't going to be controlling the ball during the game. They sat off. They pressed well, like they've been doing all through the winter break. That was the one thing I noticed during winter breaks. We see players, particularly the front three, were pressing very high and very aggressively. Um, and yeah, well, they they executed the chances really well. Um, Kvitsa was was a nightmare again, picking up, you know, winning fouls, getting yellow cards. Makar obviously earned a couple of yellow cards for his team as well. Referee was a bit suspicious with some of the some of the bookings for both sides. Um, Begic, I know, got booked very, very, and it was you know it, it wasn't a card, and there was certainly one for Spartak. I think it was Ponsa, I want to say, got a booking at one point, which was uh, a bit sketchy. And then Abulgar's Abulgar's um, second yellow in the second half was also uh, sketchy, but um. You know the whole the whole Ruben team were excellent. Smoshnikov, uh, Kvitsa, Despot, Abu Gore, Shatov, uh, Begic, Rimovich. You know they they all had a great game, um, and it was it was so good to watch. Like I, I must have watched the highlights back like two or three times just because I can believe how well Ruben had played and just um, how average Spartak were. Obviously they had the man sent off just before half time, but even before that it wasn't particularly sort of. A great performance. I must admit, when we had the man sent off, the energy in the stadium really lifted, and I was thinking, "Oh God, here we go!" Spartak will score now. The crowd were right behind the team. They did score, but it was obviously offside off the corner. Um, mm-hmm. And then, as they kept pushing forwards, they lost the ball sloppily, um, and we scored again late on. Despot obviously with a brace in the end. So yeah, I was very happy, very very happy with the performance. Less happy with the ref, obviously, because it's cost us a few players for this week's game against Zenit. I think. Uh, Abu Ghor, Shatov, and Removich were all suspended um, for the game against Zenit, which uh, three three big losses uh, to a squad that's already thin because of injuries. So, not ideal, but uh, I'll take I'll take the win certainly. Yeah, I was going to mention the referee next. Now, there's been quite a a long dispute on on social media channels regarding the referee and his proclivity for sending out for giving out what was essentially soft yellow cards. Both of the Reds were converted uh, double yellow cards. What did you think of Zobnin and Abdul Ghor's, uh respective Reds? Now, personally, I wasn't too comp- I didn't complain too much about Zobnin's second one. Um, it's a hard tackle, but he's quite late. The first one I didn't think was a yellow at all, but Abdul Ghor's was was pretty scandalous. But mm, it, yeah, it, it wasn't good. Now, like. Uh, I think the first one for Zobnin was more the fact that it was the second time he'd done it. Mm. There was a, there was an obviously you you mentioned to me before that you'd missed the first half. Um, and there was an incident 
earlier in the game where Zobnin had brought down Kvitscher on a counter and the ref hadn't booked him. So when he took Kvitscher down for the first yellow card that he got, you could see Kvitscher holding up his hand to the ref saying, look, this is the second time. And he books him after that one. And I think that's that was probably why he got that yellow, even though it was it was a soft foul, but it was the second cynical-ish foul that he'd done to sort of stop the counter. And then the second one, obviously, he's just booted um, Makarov in the leg. Makarov just spun him. Zobnin's gone to hack the ball away and just smashed him in the leg. It was on the replay. It looked really quite bad because <laughs> you see his leg bend and you're thinking, oh, God, this that, that was almost a leg breaker. His leg had planted because uh, his leg really did bend. But yeah, Abu Gore, I mean, the second yellow, I can't even remember what his first yellow was was for. I must admit. The second one, he goes in from behind on Sobo, which I presume is the only reason, basically, the, the yellow's given. Because he wins the ball between his legs, but maybe maybe gives him a dead leg or something. I don't know. The ref, it, it seemed a very harsh yellow um, to, mo- to most people concerned. Obviously, because it's second yellow, we can't even uh, appeal it, which is a shame because obviously Abu Ghraz has been one of the best players in the league this season. Yeah, he has been. I mean, he's in our RFN team of the autumn as well and fully deserves. Now, you mentioned Promes for a little bit. I did say this before the podcast and recording, but I'll I'll mention again that I think Promise's performance really reminded me of when he first arrived in Russia from all, all, all those years ago, what, six, seven years ago now, where he really saw quite a lot of the ball, but wasn't quite as electric as he saw later on as he developed his career, as he got used to the pace of the game and so on. But this is a man who has been embroiled in quite a lot of controversy of late and essentially hasn't played any form of football competitive football at least in 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 months so i think spartak's excitement maybe got ahead of themselves a little bit they have put their heart before the head and thought oh yes promise is back he's going to light the league up now i have no doubt in terms of ability promise probably will but it'll definitely take him quite a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things after so long of not playing at all Ilya, i'll come to yourself in a second because i know you're a, a massive fan of a certain Little Georgian winger, diminutive Georgian winger, who you know, very, very excited, big fan of, I think, and 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 his portrayal of Lokomotiv to to go to Rubin. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I have to admit he was good at uh, this particular game because, uh, yeah, usually I was like, uh, when I was talking about Koratchele, I mentioned that yeah, he's a brilliant dribbler, but. Yeah, how many assists does he get? Like, can he actually score a goal? But uh, this game with, with this uh, uh, with this assist he made, I, I mean that that decision was like really that's that was not Quartzella's decision actually. I, I don't know if he can repeat that in uh, other games, but if he can, maybe he actually costs like uh, a couple of million. And Ruben can actually make some profit uh, of signing him, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. But yeah, yeah, unfortunately, he's kind of playing better right now than he did in the previous game. So yeah, I knew as soon as I went on record in the team of the autumn podcast of say of of when we debated Kavicha or Lesavoy or who won the wing and Cabela, and it ended up being Lesavoy and Cabela. And I knew as soon as I went on the record of saying Kavicha needs to 
up his game in terms of final decision making and end products that the next time you'd play Spartak, you'd absolutely wipe the floor with every single Spartak defender. So a little bit of sod's law there, but I mean, Kavicha was, wasn't just the single reason of why Rubin won. Rubin, from the very front to the back, were excellent all over the park. They got in Spartak's faces, really pressed quite high. They Kavicha himself is just an absolute monster to try and get off the ball. And when people get in Spartak's face like that, Spartak really don't like that, especially when they play at home. They, they really dislike getting rattled. And that's when you see so many players and the manager Tedesco himself kind of lose their cool a little bit. That's when the real glass cannon comes out because Spartak on the day could place among some of the best football in the league. But Rubin and Slutsky knew exactly what to do just to press Spartak and Tedesco's buttons. Or oh, even though Tedesco wasn't on the sideline serving a, a touchline ban. But um, yeah, just uh, Rubin absolutely stopped Spartak in everything that they tried to do. But I'll 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 leave on Spartak with one little extra extra bit of information, and that is that of course uh, former sporting director Shamil Gazizov left Spartak under quite a large cloud in the first part of the season. Now, two of the men who replaced him, Yevgeny Melizhkov and and the managing director and the sports director Dmitry Popov, have actually revealed on Champion that. the, some of the insight into the Gazizov debacle. Now, Melzhikov explained that at some point, Shamil understood that he couldn't handle the workload and the functions that perhaps weren't really defined when he got the job. He wanted to make decisions in the sporting department, but when he faced tasks such as handling the club work and infrastructure, commercial activity, FFP compliance, he didn't delegate them to anybody, but did nothing himself. There were certain complaints about him. He considered himself the sole executive party and behaved too independently. When asked what that meant, he continued that Gazizov thought he didn't have to listen to the stakeholders and the board in certain costly matters. Asked about transfers, he said yes, both transfer sums and player choice. He thought that he could make all these decisions on his own. Now, this is quite an interesting insight into maybe the way, not just, I mean, he's obviously disparaging Gazizov and kind of trying to make a little bit of a joke figure out of Gazizov. But I think it's a little bit of a a, a disparage to Gazizov in that sense. But I think it's more so actually towards Fadun in that Gazizov was put into his place without a clearly defined role beforehand. Why is he finding out in the role that this is his job? And, well, and then afterwards, after Gazizov, the non-Spartak man is taken out, then they do have a separate managing director for the finance on one side, sporting director for sports alone on the other. Melezhikov took over the commercial activity, the FPP, FFP compliance. Popov took over the actual football side of the job. So why didn't Fadun have this outlined in the first place? But it also just does outline the complete and utter difference between how and what it takes to be su- be successful and to operate at Ufa with their budget and the size of the club compared to Spartak and just how different these two clubs are. David, do you think that there's much to really read into this regarding Gazizov himself, or is this just maybe how the nature of football works? Mm, it's probably a bit of both. I mean, um, you know, Ufa... A small, small club like Ufa, Gazizov probably was was used to having a lot of power, a lot of control, um, which obviously not ideal necessarily. But he was doing a very good job, so 
who's to question it, um, ultimately. Uh, it sounds like maybe at Spartak, he wasn't getting all the control he was used to or expected. Uh, plus, also, it sounds you know like maybe he wasn't briefed properly about what they were expecting of him. Um, it's a bit of both then from him, you know, what well, he wasn't expected, but then when he found out, he didn't try, apparently, if we're to believe Melzhikov. So um, who knows? You know, it looks like Gazizov's back at Ufa now. So um, mm. let's just put that chapter behind him and we know he can be, you know, a, a great sporting director um, or great director of football, whatever his role is. Um, so let's hope he can do that with Ufa again because they had some very good years under him before. Yeah, and to segue back to the actual real events of the weekend in the football, Ufa themselves lost against Kimki 2-1 away to Kimki. And Uranov made his first return to Ufa. Uh, David, how do you think Ufa did on your um, game? Didn't you? It was it was a it was a poor game really. Um no, it was a nothing first half and then the the goal early second half from Kimki really just sort of killed the game off. But but Ufa really had had just not done a great deal uh, during the match, which which was a shame. Um, I never really felt like they were going to do they were going to get a real chance um, of scoring. Obviously, they did get one late from a from a set piece. Um, so yeah, that wasn't great. But they were much better in the cup. They played in the cup midweek against uh, Ural. Their, their postponed game, obviously, we, we talked about that last week. Uh, and they won 3-0 in that game. Uh, they were much better. It was a rotated, slightly rotated team. Uh, Arunov started that game and he was he was pretty good from what I saw. He had some of those flashes of, of brilliance that we know he can get, you know, where um, you know he darts past a couple of players. Um, but Andrić and, and Jemalek Dinov uh, were very good in the midweek. So maybe it's just some, some gelling time and time to get they're the best lineup together. Obviously, Ufa made a couple of signings uh, late in the window there with uh, Arunov and a couple of other guys, Buzoza and Miletic. Um, so they got Ural again uh, this weekend away uh, rather than at home. So I'm hoping they can they can take what they did midweek and, and get another victory because they, they need the points down there at the bottom to, to try and stay up. I was really surprised to hear that oh, uh, when David mentioned the match against Ural, that was the... 3-0 win in the mm. the Russian Cup game for everyone. It was the rearranged fixture from a couple of weeks ago. I was really surprised to see Jamaletinov get those two goals because I thought, I mean, aside from that one that one finish early on in the season, was it against Dinamo? Um, um, Tambov, he scored a couple of belters against Tambov, I recall. So, I remember one way it was like kind of a little bit like the Javier Hernandez goal that time. Oh, the backwards like header. Backwards header, yeah. yeah it was a lovely yeah, finish. I remember but, that. He scored. He scored two belters against Tambor for free kick and a and a long shot off a, a corner routine. I remember two excellent goals there. So with that brace, he's bag this week. Um, again, there was another excellent goal in there against uh, Ural midweek. Um, basically, lobbed the keeper with a volley from outside the box. Uh, it was really nice, and they they were very good. Um, it's a bit of weird player for me because he, yeah, he, he either is. doesn't perform whatsoever or. There's an absolute bagsman. Well, yeah, top like um, a Polish Polish journalist contacted me in the week, um, asking, you know, he'd seen that he'd scored twice, and he was like, "What's going on?" Because you know, he played for 18 months in Poland, and he was he, you know, he only scored once. He was nothing. Uh, and I I remember from his spell when he was at Cisco as a youngster, he had like one of the lowest dribble rates of any striker in the league. Like he would take under less than a one dribble per game, 
uh, and just was not mobile. And now you watch him, like playing for Ufa, you know, we know Ufa strikers have got to be mobile, they've got to be pressing, they've got to chase the ball on. And he does all of that now. It's really weird to see him as such a different style of player to where, what he was maybe four years ago. Mm. Um, and I was thinking, I, I know that when he was in Poland, he he was often played not as a striker, maybe behind or as a winger occasionally. Um, and maybe just just needs the motivation and getting a starting performance every week for Ufa up front in the position he wants. Guardian in a tough role where he's got to do a lot of running and stuff. Maybe it's just working for him. You know, it doesn't work every week and we know Ufa are never going to have real prolific goal scorers because of, that's just how they play. They're more of a team who are going to go out there and try and win one or two nil. Um, so, um, so yeah, but I think they've got a nice nice partnership there, him and Andrich and uh, Merzlach, the guy, Croatian, who joined late in the summer window. Uh, he was really good. He was really, really good. Um, so they've got a nice, they've got a nice like link of players there doing, starting to sort of come well. Um, maybe a bit late in the season, but um, I'd like to think they'll they'll at least avoid the bottom two um, this season now. One thing that always impresses me about Ufa is it's it's not just Gazizov. Gazizov has got a lot of credit for the work he did there over the years, and rightfully so. But the scouting department as well. Now Ufa's style may not please the eye. I personally hate watching any game with Ufa in because you know what you're going to get. It'll be one team camped on the edge on on Ufa's half and just trying to constantly break them down, having all these shots at goal when Alexander Belenov just turns into Superman again and decides to stop everything, or and that did obviously didn't work a lot this season. But to be fair to Ufa, their scouts are really good at signing and identifying players who fit into their philosophy. They don't need a ball-playing defender. The only one of late really probably Nedelciaru. Every single other defender they've had, it, it, it rely, they rely upon very high concentration levels, keen positioning, because they're going to be defending for so long, backs against the wall. Ostan Urinov is just a, a typical example of, of somebody who would go Ufa and, fr- and thrive. He is un- probably one of the best in the league at driving from deep with the ball at foot, probably only better by Kvisha, and pulling Ufa literally 30, 40 yards up the pitch. That's what Uren, he did that when he came on uh, against Kimki to to great effect. Um, he didn't have the best of games, but that one thing that he does so well is purely just he uses his low center of gravity, his close touch, and his his keen technical ability, and just gets Ufa up. It's very much like what uh, Dimitri Stotsky's role did for Ufa as well, where his own close control and, and solid technical ability on the ball would get Ufa up. Jamaletinov is is similar. He they've identified that he could fit into that role of what like Sly used to do. But yeah, Jamaletinov's not particularly had a great season in my opinion. He's, he, he like I say, he does score the odd banger, but he just fits Ufa's system really, really well. Um, Richard, you caught an eye over the Sochi win at the weekend as they went ended up having an absolute rout of winning four nil. So, how do you think that the have they done down in the south in the black the Black Sea Club done at the weekend? It was a very impressive performance from them. Um, first half, they were the better side, but just couldn't break through. They had, um, I think, a Christian Naboa goal ruled out for offside. But then the second half, they were absolutely outstanding. Um, what I really like about Sochi is under Vladimir Fedotov is they're playing a very high pressing style and quick transition between the lines and. Um, you know, it's a very it's a style which you know is is quite associated with you know German Bundesliga clubs. That you know, I've watched the odd Bundesliga game and it's definitely high pressing, 
uh, winning the ball back and creating quick goal scoring opportunities. And that's what they did. And, um, you know, Zaika put a lovely ball through for Zabalotny uh, to score the opening goal. It was a brilliant free kick from Joao Um And I think, you know, Yusupov scored a lovely goal as well to make it 4-0. And I think we've got to give a lot of credit to Vladimir Fedotov because um, he kept Orenberg in the RPL. And then halfway through last year, he was appointed as Sochi's new manager. And um, not only did he keep them in the RPL in the end relatively comfortably, but he's, he's looking at building now. You know, um, a really good side down there. And what's really impressive about it too is he's getting the most out of players who, you know, have not previously been highly thought of and, you know, also got released from, from their clubs in the summer. You know, Drauzinho and Yusupov got let go by Dinamo. He's got getting goals out of Zabalotny. Um, the back three are very solid. Um Naboa's playing some of the best football around, even still at the age of 35. So, yeah, I think we've got to take our hat off to Vladimir Fedotov um, for the job that he's doing down there. And um, they've got Rostov at the weekend. They, they keep stringing together a few more wins, then you just never know. This this could get quite interesting. Now, there is a, a little bit of an interesting story regarding Sochi in that they might not actually be able to play in Europe if, if they do finish in the European positions. Um basically the any club that has existed for less than three years, like Sochi have, have to apply to be included in Europe. Not they're not automatically in in the in the pot for the playoffs or for whatever depending on position. Um now ninety ninety five percent of clubs do actually uh, get granted this so it, it looks like a good chance that they will but there has been instances in the past where football clubs haven't been granted it because the move and the recreation of of the club was purely for financial purposes, like Sochi's was. Um, because let's not forget, yes, Sochi are doing very well this season, uh, led by a, a talented manager with a talented squad, but they are essentially still a fake club that were... <laughs> Yeah, in which a, a historic one, Dinamo St. Petersburg, were moved across the country and rebranded by by, Rote, by Boris Rotenberg. So definitely want to keep an eye out on uh, towards the end of the season if Sochi do keep up their good form and, and finish in a, in a European spot. So we're going to quickly skip now and we're going to drop down a division. We're going to do the, the Krillia special and we're going to move into the Finna Elves, the we're going to try and, like I said last week, cover a lot more Finnetel in this half of the season because we sometimes criminally forget about our little brothers in, in the league below. And the big game of the weekend was Krylia Sovietov actually defeated Nizhny Novgorod at the, the top of the table clash. Now, David, like myself, we both had both of these games on <laughs> first thing on Saturday on Saturday lunchtime, Saturday morning, uh, with the Kimki Ufar on and then the Krilia Nizhny on another another TV. Then I had Spartak 2 on another one. But how did Krilia look in, in, the, in the game? I think they're the real like title contenders right now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the squad they've got is just outrageous. Like, I think it was you who messaged the chat, like just saying about the bench they had for the day. Um, and that was even without, I think, I don't even think Ricardo Alves made the squad for the game and they just signed him as well. And we know how good he he can be. Um, from what I saw of the game, obviously I was trying to focus on, on multiple. Um, initially, he didn't seem to offer a lot from what I saw, uh, but then he would did Krillia either. Like, 
it seemed to be a game that's got stuck in the midfield. Um, but you know they they kept whittling away and they they got their goal in the end. Um, a nice finish from Yezhov, who's not had not had the best um, season since his move from Chernobyl. Um, played a lot of games, but has not had many goal contributions at all uh, in terms of you know, goals and assists. I think that was only maybe his second or third goal this this season, um, which isn't which isn't a great number for someone who's been playing so regularly. But as we know, <laughs> so many of Krilly's goals have come from from Sergeyev and Galenkov. They've got like the, um, thirty-one between them, which is over half their goals. So. Um, you know, a big win puts them top, though they are still level on points with Nizhny. Um, but the the two teams below them uh, both drop points. So, um, big, big, big win. They're now, those two teams are now four points clear. Um, and yeah, you really fancy Krillia just to keep on. Uh, you know, there's only 11 games left. You, you fancy them just to, just, you, you'd even fancy them to win all 11, to be honest. Like the squad that they've got, they, sh- they probably should be winning all 11. Um, it, it's, it's such a good and competitive squad. And obviously, we saw them destroy. Uh, Kimiki in the in the cup a couple of weeks ago. Um, I forget who they've got in the draw next round. I think it's even a potentially potentially winnable draw they got as well. Uh, I can't recall. I was uh, Dinamo. Dinamo. See, it all depends what Dinamo. If that Dinamo who from the second half against Akman turn up, then who knows what's going to happen um, in that game. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice to see them probably be coming back up because uh, you know they're a well supported club and they've got a nice World Cup stadium. Um, mm-hmm. and, a, and a nice squad, you know. It'll be great to see the, the Chertanovo um, graduates give it a go in the Premier League. So we've been wait, waiting for them so long to make that step up. Uh, although Zinkowski, a day after the, the transfer window ended, said, I think I am ready to go abroad now. So that was good timing from his part. You know, could have said it a week earlier. But, um, so he might well be off, which I think we'd all be for, um, for him to go. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a, a solid win for them. <laughs> Sorry, I got, I'm trying to control myself. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Anton Sinkowski, you need to sack your agent and find you a new one. If you're saying things like that the day after the bloody transfer window closes. <laughs> now, up top for Nizhny, there's been probably one man, the star man for them this season is Timur Sulimanov. He's a 20-year-old on loan from a certain Lokomotiv. Uh, Ilya, are you excited about Sulemanov? Do you think he could perhaps return to Loco and maybe make the first team? Because um, we we all know that Loco's strikers are t- perennially absolutely horrendous. Yeah, I, I really hope so because the this summer we lose Adair, who was definitely our best striker. And uh, <laughs> oh, come on, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Come on, what do you mean? Nah, like, yes, uh, also Lisakovic is great, but sometimes he has really bad games. Just for example, against Tambov, I, I don't think he was on the pitch, although he was in the squad, but he was like the worst locomotive player. And it was against Tambov, which is not, not a good sign at all. And Kamano, he's great right now, but uh, I can't be so sure about him. So. Uh, Sulimanov actually played several games for Lokomotiv, but mm. uh, and yeah, he even uh, almost scored in one game. Was offside or uh, handball? So uh, it goes. He missed, missed from like 
two yards out in a in a game recently, if I remember rightly. I remember <laughs> someone it was and like this guy's good. Can everyone listen? And this he's he's been really good for Nishini this season, really good as a target man as well. But I, I vaguely remember in one of the RPL games, there was like a ball knocked down and it was like squared across the six yard line and some man of missed from like two or three yards out. It was like one of the worst misses you'll ever see. Um, but he's like I said, that's that's just him learning from the best in a day. That that experienced striker up top, his his, his knowledge running rubbing off on Sulemano. No, sorry, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh too much. I mean, look, I'm a bloody Spartak fan at the end of the day. It's the biggest crazy house in Russian football. But um yeah, I, I thought he was actually quite quiet in the Krilia in the game against Krilia. And that was one of the reasons why Nizhny themselves struggled. They really I mean, even though they were at home, they really just were pegged back completely by Krilia and, and Ivan Sergeyev was was just excellent and he was closing down everything that, that Nizhny even tried. Um Richard, I believe there was a fight in the Elania match, if, if you caught that at all. Yeah, yes, I did. I did hear about this. Um, I saw it on Twitter. I haven't researched much into it, but um, I don't know whether any of you guys have seen it. Um, I didn't actually. I, I heard, I've heard about it on Twitter. I didn't actually see much of it. Um, I've so. I've seen. If, if you want me to. So sorry. Um, yeah, I haven't seen much. Of it. it was uh, right at the end of the game. Uh, Alania just conceded a 95th minute goal to lose three two against Tom Tomsk, and then. Summit kicked off in the centre circle between Khetar uh, Kosanov um, and one of the Tomsk players. Words were said, arms were thrown, um, and it basically caused like a, a, a brawl in the centre of the pitch. Uh, and the first reports that came out were that the Alania coach, Spartak Gogniev, who also ex Siska, uh, ex Ural as well, you know, uh, scored a lot of goals in the Premier League. Um, the, the early reports were that he'd punched to the assistant referee in the in the stomach, um, but I'm not sure if that was actually. I think he's what we've been charged with. I think he's been charged with. I think the words that I read were aggressive pushing. I, I don't know if that's quite right, but I'm pretty sure they've said he just pushed someone now. Um, and I think he's banned for eight matches. I don't know if that's just a touchline ban or a full ban, but uh, he's banned for eight matches in the Hosnov four. So um, yeah, not an ideal situation there. Uh, you know, temperatures. Uh, Right, rising there with the with the late defeat, uh, I think they were already down to ten men, which is um, how Tom Thompson managed to turn it around, considering how dire they've been. Um, so yeah, that was that was our one moment of of uh, madness in in the Fenial this week. Speaking of Spartak Gogniev, I mean, th- apart from the meme that was going around on VK at the weekend, that just a lot of people who had seen Spartak Gogniev in the. <laughs> in the headlines, didn't realise he was a player and not a team, which I thought was quite funny. But uh, my my <laughs> long-abiding memory of Spartak Gogniev is years ago when he was Krasnodar captain. Um, Krasnodar were playing away at Terek at the time, and he was sent off. And when he was like walking off the pitch to go down the tunnel, two Terek fans just kind of ran out from the stand and just decided to like start punching him, um, like, physically, like literally punching him. And... Um, and Gogniev went wild and like he, he went into the tunnel and then just got like dragged away by police. And then apparently, I, I can't remember this, but I, I, I read about this earlier because I, I, I vaguely remembered it. And apparently the police started beating Gogniev as well. So like this, he's known for um, some of the more bizarre moments in, in Russian football, should we say, without going really any further into it. But yeah, if and people find that because there's quite a few few images of it and videos of it around. I think I've seen it last on on VK it was, um, 
of of the Krasnodar Terek game and when it was Gogniev who was who was hit then <laughs> and he, he's again straight back into the limelight. Uh, Chaika beat Shinnick 5-1 as they finally showed a little bit of promise that you were hoping for from them this season, David, as well. Yeah, it was um, caught the highlights for that one. Uh, didn't see that game live, but that's, they've got a nice front four there with Mayev Kulishev, who um, was once the autumn top scorer in the Fernial for, for Dinamo St. Petersburg a few years ago and then moved to Orenburg and it didn't really click for him. But we know, therefore, that he can score goals at this level and they've, they've been crying out for a striker. Although he's still playing as one of the attacking trio behind uh, behind Umayev up front, who's, I think, now at five goals in 11 games since he signed with Chaika on loan uh, and also picked up assists this week. Um, and then the two Olenikovs, Olenikov and Alenikov, who have come in from Shinnik over the last six months, um, they were both looking excellent as well. And then the former Ural right-back, remember uh, Vladimir Korjin, um, who was once... Oh, yeah. Pretty pretty respectable right back. Um, he's now the the Chaika captain, playing centre half, and he scored twice. Um, and he's becoming quite notorious. I've noticed in from what I catch of the Fenel of scoring uh, belters, and he scored a free kick from about thirty yards, which rifled in. Um, and it's not the first time I've seen him do something like that either. So um, he's sort of making a bit of a name for himself. It's sort of a bit of a Chaika Chaika icon down there. Um, but yeah, really good, really good win. Obviously, Shinnick are, are just dreadful. They're, they're bound for relegation. Um, I was chatting to an agent over the weekend and he was just lambasting their recruitment. Um, it's just a mishmash of players who have come in to replace the couple of losses that they made in lane golf going to Chaika. Um, not good. So yeah, it's a shame. Obviously, I think we mentioned before, it's, it'll be their first relegation to the third tier ever. But um, it looks a foregone conclusion at this point now. Yeah, it is a shame. It's it's a shame to see just how far they've fallen, but it's not too surprising. Like I said, with the with the summer recruitment that was so poor. Um, another side who actually have had one te- one big player taken away, and that was Volgar Astrakhan. Of course, their former top scorer Dmitry Vorobiev went to Orenburg in the winter, so I decided to, I wanted to keep in my. Yeah, my now what will be three weekly changing of Finnair L teams because Spartak 2 were boring and shouldn't exist. Uh, I watched Falgar Astrakhan at the weekend and I was quite excited about about their uh, who they brought in because they brought in uh, Gamed Agalarov and I was like, oh, Agalarov should, should look quite good. And he, he came off the bench and scored as well as uh, the, the, the star man up top now who took over from, who took over in Artyom Pogosov. But uh, Volgar looked really good. They won four one away to Yense, so not the most difficult of matches. The to uh, leapfrog Yense in the in the race for like the top half, just just behind Velez and Alania and and all those. But it looks like they're just going to sit mid table. They're not really going to move anywhere uh, too high or too low with the points that they're on. But uh, definitely want to keep a, keep an eye out for us because they've got quite a eclectic forward line of Alexi Gasolin. Uh, Yusupov Pogosov and now uh, Amid Gamidagalarov, uh, so it's like a ex RPL promising youngsters mercenaries bunch. But uh, David, is anybody else you would like to highlight before we move on to our next topic from the Fin L this weekend? Um, Akron, Akron uh, grabbed a late late equaliser at, at Velez. Um, they picked up, uh, I think we mentioned it in the previous pod. They picked up some really nice players with a lot of experience. Um, Keith uh, Chicharin was one who came in late doors um, to, to shore up the defence, and they've got they've got a lot a nice few players in that squad now with lots of Premier League experience. 
uh, Maxi Mirovic as well. Um, so I was glad to see them carry on uh, with their decent form that I'd seen them have over the winter break uh, and pick up a win, uh, pick up a draw away at, um, at Velez. And I'm hoping they can uh, climb out the relegation zone. It's uh, still seven points to, to close the gap on Irtish, who are currently in that 16th. Um, but it was a, it was a nice move. Obviously, Velez trying to rebuild after losing uh, Maximenka, but um, it was nice to see Akron uh, potentially start climbing back up the table. Ilya, any anything to add on the Finna L? We know that you're not the biggest Finna L fan in the world. <laughs> now, I, I just wanted to come back to RPL for a second. I want to say respect to the CSK tactician uh, Evgeny Shevelev, who had a Twitter thread after the game against Lokomotiv, and he explained how CSK played against Lokomotiv and all like pointed out all the mistakes made by CSK and his view of the game and like the chances they had and why they didn't realize that. That's a really rare thing for Russian football, so I think it's worth mentioning it. I hope there will be more of the same. Yeah, that's that's nice to say. Um if you wanna if you send me that privately, Ilya, I'll I'll retweet that off the off the Russian football news Twitter just so people can go and have a look because there's been a recently in, in some of the media and some Twitter forums there's been a little bit of a resurgence of actually useful Twitter threads in amongst Russian football as opposed to just memes, which is generally what Russian football has been, like the old log memes, the spawn eye and so on. Um David, you mentioned uh, Artem Maximenka. How did he play for Ural at the weekend? Um well him and Gadjimuradov who um, I really liked in the first half of the Feniel and uh, even last year, Gadjimuradov as well. Um, neither of them got a start in the first game over the weekend, and then they they didn't have much to do in their cameos. I think they both they both got off the bench, and I remember we we were watching. We I can't even remember who they played, but we were watching the game, and because I, I remember posting in the in the chat about just how much I liked Maximenko's running style. He's just he's he's a big big burly guy. Um, but he's got this really, I, I, and I know it reminds me of someone, but I just can't think of who it's reminding me of the way he, he runs with the ball. Um, but it always just makes him seem like a really dangerous player. Um, but yeah, he didn't, neither of them had much to do or couldn't really do much uh, in the first game. Gajan Rudolf started in the cup against Dufa, obviously, which they lost 3-0. Um, I saw him have a couple of nice little flashes. Um, and then Maximenko came off the bench again. Uh, but again, was was not really involved a great deal. Laurel were, were struggling for for a while there, um, so I'm hoping they'll both get an actual league start. Um, you know, what was the point of signing if you're going to keep playing Pogrebniak and uh, you know whoever else in in that front three? Uh, it would be nice to see Maximenko uh, get a start there. Yeah, absolutely. I I really like. I think I mentioned when we were discussing that that I think he's got a. Surprisingly, and to be honest, it's quite bizarre to watch how low it is, but a surprisingly low center of gravity for such a big guy because you, like you said, you don't really see that that ability just to stick hold of the ball and to like really weigh himself down on the pitch. So it's very bizarre, but you can see why he's very highly rated, and I'm, I hope he does make the step up quite nicely to the RPL because he's he's one I know that you've kept an eye on for quite some time. Um, so we're going to move on to the last topic now, and this is. Really, something that blew up on on Monday, Tuesday, and it is the some comments from the former Dinamo man. Now, Andrei Kobelev, he's a 
well known for a foot on on a football hate YouTube channel, and he essentially had some very sexist and quite difficult remarks. Ilya, would you like to walk through some of what went on with Kobolev, the former Dinamo manager and players, comments? Yeah, like he said uh, several uh, really sexist things, like. Uh... That women uh, can't understand football, and he also said said that uh, something like, "If I get a call from a female reporter, uh, I ask to call men, like, or I ask them, don't you have like male reporters?" So, so, so comments were like that. <clears throat> like there, there is no doubt they're a sexist. But as for me, I wasn't really surprised when I heard that because. Kobelev, he's kind of first. He's a former coach, but he was like out of context for several years, and uh, he actually like I remembered comments uh, from uh, Dinamo players when he coached them, and when they went down to FNL, he said something like, uh, "In the training camps, we were running, just running around the pitch. That, that was our training for several days, and." I think that Kobolev doesn't understand like anything in this, this world, not not like about male and female reporters, but like how to coach and how to do something. So I was really surprised. I'm surprised that people really care about his opinion right now as an expert. Like that's he's kind of I don't know. Uh, an easy export for any football reporter because you always have Kobolev's number. He'll always answer you something you probably need to write about this game. Not nothing about tactics, nothing particular, but some comments will it will make you clicks. Yeah, but yeah, that's exactly. It. I mean, I like he mentions in the in his comments Maria Ozil, who's a who's a columnist, a Dinamo fan and, col- and columnist, and she's been quite critical of him in the past and his management. It's totally fair. I mean, he got them relegated to the Finnell for the first time in the entire history. Now, the in this interview, the guys who who were talking to him kind of baited him a little bit, saying some some things that traditionally sexist people would believe, like saying, like, well, this is straight sexism. You can't say this. This is wrong. And I thought they did quite well to basically highlight it and, and bait him to do it more, really get to the crux of what his beliefs are. And um, Maria also re- responded to um, to his comments. And he, he, I like how she mentioned that this is not the opinion of the majority of people, but it's basically just she attacks him for these and, and says that it, um, she cannot understand why football is exclusively male territory, uh, why in Europe fo- on football programs and the sidelines and locker rooms are the female journalists working in these situations. So it basically went on to... She actually went on to further it and to take his take his comments, which are wrong, disgusting, and completely incorrect in every single form of the word. And she took them and instead of just attacking him back, which would get her nowhere and the argument nowhere because it would just be pointless, she basically turned it around and and said, "Look, this guy, this he's got horrendous views, but a lot of these views are actually." bigger of a larger problem in society not not just in Russia but in football as a whole, the entirety of football and she's absolutely bang on, how many women do you see on football in across the world in analytical roles on television 
the all the only one I can think of is one on English TV. Otherwise, they either in analytical roles purely on women's football and not men's football, or they are the presenter or the touchline reporter. There's that meme going viral of Winston McKenney staring at the woman on the side of the pitch. Like they, they all have the similar roles, and I thought she, her response was absolutely brilliant in that she just took it, made him look like an idiot even more than he already is. And then just completely turned it around as to be like, look, this isn't this. This is a viewpoint of a, a minimum amount of men, but it's that viewpoint is there because of this, this, and this, and she just basically dismantled every single thing he said. And what's evolved after that is um, an interesting Twitter thread of basically a history of people or commentators on Match TV and on other television programs who have these sexist remarks. Ilya, what, what do you think about that thread? I mean, it, it points out some pretty big names in, in media in Russian football who, and it's not even just accusing them, it's like straight up, like, this is what they said. Yeah, it was actually like a, a log of the uh, comment show on YouTube. Uh, comment show is like a YouTube channel run by uh, football commentators from uh, Match TV and I think Channel One. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were discussing, especially the Kobolev's uh, comments, and uh, I mean, they 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 looked like they tried. <laughs> to uh like defend women but <laughs> for me it looked even worse because what what they said they, they said really strange things like Konstantin Genich for example he he said well if uh, a female reporter wants to ask uh you a question about tactics she got to consult first with a male reporter then <laughs> then uh, for example they discussed like can women actually be uh football commentators and they all agree that they can't because they didn't have any uh arguments also uh, uh denis kazanski had one he he said something like how many uh female artists do you remember and he just named one and he said and that's it and maybe that's why that was his argument uh also nobel aristanian he was talk, talking about that he said that uh female journalists can actually be good sideline reporters because they look nice and it's really a pleasure to look at them jesus christ <laughs> so so things like that and they i think they don't even understand that's really sexist too and mm-hmm. so so yeah um, that's really just emblematic of, of the issue they are they are themselves being sexist in what they're saying and they're basically trying to mansplain everything about what's going on they're, they're saying oh yes this what you said was wrong but they can also do this right and absolutely mansplaining the hell out of it because every single thing that they're also trying to defend that they they're chastising him for and defend her with and women in football with is is in itself just as sexist. I, that's what they don't understand. It's just they're basically dinosaurs. David, what do what do you think about it? Do you want to jump in for a quick second? Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking 
obviously all these guys work on work on the TV. Um, isn't like their boss Maria Kornia? Is she not like like one of the head honchos at the channel? I, I can't I can't remember if that's her role or if she's just another presenter. But like that seems seems weird for them to if I'm right in thinking that she's the boss. Um, it'd be weird for them to be saying those things. Ilya can perhaps answer my query there. Well, I, I'm not sure if she's like Tina Kandalaki is, is. Oh yeah, yeah. that's Tina Kandalaki. And it, they also they like, they have a lot of female bosses actually on on the TV channel. And I also can't understand that every time before the game they come to the press box and usually it's like fifty percent of journalists here are female or even more. Sometimes it's in majority. Well, it. Yeah, like a lot of the people. Like obviously, we try and follow as many sports journalists on, on Twitter as possible and a lot of the ones who work for Champion Out of Sport um Sport twenty four are are rush are uh, female. You know, you've got um Alina Matinian, Paulina Kuimova, um Margarita Yakupova, just three off the top of my head, who I know like work for some of the most prominent websites um uh, around. And I actually recall also reading recently that there's a a Russian female I think she was a linesman rather than a ref. And they were talking there was an article about she could potentially um, be be a linesman in the or a lineswoman in the uh, Premier League next season, uh, and I was like, "So that's cool." And I, I didn't, I don't think I dare read the comments, but I did certainly did read the article yeah. about it. <laughs> um, but that'd be good. It'd be interesting to see if that would actually happen or not, and what the reception would be. Well, we we are, like we ourselves have been trying to cover women's football more in Russia because it is it's on the up. It's definitely on the up. It's getting better year in, year out. There's more and more teams getting women's football teams and really taking it seriously and really realising that this is an opportunity for them, from a football club, a business perspective, to tap into a completely untapped, a largely untapped audience. Um, and it, it's great to see it on the rise. But we've had Tom Tom Weber, Tom Weber who's, comment, who's done quite a few articles on the Superliga, really good analysis of, of the Superliga. And there's been quite a few times where We've had comments in the website that have that have marked as spam and deleted because it's disgusting, and direct messages that where it's like, why are you covering this? What's the point in covering this? This is Russian football news, not women's Russian football news. Well, it's Russian football. It doesn't matter about gender, and that's what these guys need to understand. These they're saying they can't be commentators. Yeah, well, maybe one of them could be better than all of them, and they're just sitting there worried about their jobs. Ilya, what do you want? To, what do you think? Yeah, the first the funny thing is that there is actually a female football commentator on Telesport. Uh, she's covering Belgian football, I think. Uh, unfortunately, I don't watch Belgian football, but I know that fact. And maybe, I don't know, I was thinking about it a lot because, of course, Russia is, can be considered as conservative country and, like, a lot changed for the better in the recent years, but still there are a lot of like guys who are like completely sexist in different areas. But for me, like journalism was always one of the most progressive fields because I know I have a lot of like colleagues in like journalism, and like all of them are pro feminists. They're like. They're not racist, they're not sexual, and I never heard such comments from them. But uh, I'm talking about all journalists besides sports journalists, because if you go to this, 
sports media in Russia, even the guys who are like of our age, under 30 or like under 40, who are not, who can't be called boomers, uh, all, <laughs> like all, all these guys uh, also have, I've seen so many times such comments which also are very sexist and like, I, I really can't understand maybe because uh, so many reporters are football fans and this like in football the, this is just a common thing unfortunately for for football and I, I hope I just hope that there will be changes for better because like on telesport I know the guys uh, football commentators for telesport they're really nice and maybe that's just a thing for big media like Match TV, like yeah. Sports Rue and whatever. And people from small media are completely different. And I hope that things will change for the better. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is largely an issue with the old forms of media. And that's, that's across the world. They, these views are held across the world. I mean... You look at cricket. Just the other day on Twitter, there was a, a a viral incident of a a woman playing an English woman playing cricket and going to the wrong side of the stumps. It was a pretty like big cock up from her, and it was used to be like, "Oh, look, women's cricket, ha ha!" Like, well, you can take so many one single mistakes out of context from either gender's football and say. Like, oh look, terrible football! I mean, you can, you can take one cock up from the Premier English Premier League, what's considered the greatest league in the world, is certainly the highest watched, and say, well, this is all of English men's football. Like, it's 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 just rank disgusting, yeah. and that's I mean, this is in cricket as well, which is like the most English of English sports. It was invented like six hundred years ago in Kent by some like middle class white people. Uh, it's it's all over the world, and it's all over football, and it's not good enough I mean, well, yeah i mean it's still very prevalent every time alex scott is on the tv i know i mean i don't have sky but i know when she's a pundit on tv because she trends because there's a load of gammons spouting off about it on on social media i mean let's be honest whatever i've seen alex scott doing hosting she does a really good job uh, and some of the pundits that we have on uk tv are are like the fact that sky sports news had like you know paul merson and, and all that lot in and they could barely pronounce half the players they were talking about like, Still give Sunas at a time. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's not it's not something that even is out of this country. So uh, and I mean even if you went back maybe ten years, there would have been no one in Alex Scott's position who was female. There's always been female presenters. Like I remember on Football Focus, they always had female reporters. Like um, Ailey Ailey Doyle has been been there for ages. I remember. Um, yeah. But it, it's becoming more prevalent now in the UK and. Although there's, you know, it's meeting resistance from certain sectors, um, so you'd expect the, the 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 rise in Russia to be just as difficult, if not more so. It's it's great to see more and more women commenting and and working on men's games and vice versa. It's, I mean, the 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 Chelsea Chelsea's manager Emma Hayes, I believe she's called, who's highly successful, like one of the most successful coaches in football, regardless of gender or country. And was actually linked with the Wimbledon job in League One of late. That's it's showing that pro- we're making progress on this issue, and we need to bring this up, and we need to help ed- not not just educate, but just pass on this message and 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 condemn comments like I mean, look at Nobel's comment in the show when he said, "I like this format; it's perfect." 
A girl, roughly speaking, should be attractive so that you can watch the television. And look, there's the beautiful girl. And then who comments on the football? Let the man. It's just absolutely rank disgusting and there's no room for it in this society anymore. Ilya? Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, coming back to what Genich said, that uh, a female reporter should consult with the male guy before uh, asking like something. Uh, the fact is that he actually, I know about two cases when he actually consulted to, with women before uh, his matches. Like once he asked uh, uh, about uh, coronavirus measures in Bundesliga and also during Valencia game, he used a, a part of an article about uh, uh, Valencia, also written uh, by a female journalist. Uh, but he, I mean, he doesn't really realize that, that he used uh, their knowledge. And I, I don't know how, how he can't really understand that. And I like the thing that Vadim Lukomsky uh, said, his telegram channel that uh, maybe it's true that there are like less uh, women who are like interested in football right now but those who are interested they really have a deeper knowledge than uh, male journalists because like if they watch football they they don't watch because like their friends told them oh don't you want to watch football they're, they're really interested in the team they're really interested in the players and and maybe that's why, uh, for example, on Russian Twitter, we have a lot of like channels, uh, a lot of female journalists who are reporting about this team, about uh, some uh, minor leagues, uh, and maybe like the majority of them are uh, female. Maybe that's why I completely agree with his opinion. I, I just hope that, yeah, it, it, in in coming years and you know change for the better. Yeah, it's I guess we've all mentioned it. It's good that this sort of prehistoric thinking is being slowly phased out of football um, everywhere, and, and that's not just in these aren't these views aren't just in Russia. The, the it's elsewhere. Um, progressive views and. As more progressive and more liberal generations grow up, we will, these will be filtered out. And absolute full credit to Maria Ozil for her brilliant response. But we're going to have to finish the podcast now because we, we are running a little bit over time. Um, and we will unfortunately end on a little bit of a, a sour note and a sad some sad news. Is, uh, this weekend, um, I want to speak on behalf of all at RFN, send a condolences to the family of Yuri Rozanov, a legend of commentating in Russia. He sadly passed away at the age of just 59 after a long battle with cancer. And he's probably most famous for, outside of Russia anyway, for his ecstatic commentary of, of Rubin's 2-1 defeat of Barcelona at the Camp Nou. Uh, for anybody who may not have heard, I'll, here's a little short, a short uh, excerpt of the excellent commentary when Dennis Kaladenis scored.
Вопросов нет никаких. Игроки Барса смотрят на бокового арбитра. А вдруг нет, ребят. Там полтора метра еще было. Ах, Домингес, Домингес. Как же ты выненчил этот паста, а? Как ты его берег, нес буквально. Вот как на руках что-то несут, он нес его в ногах. So rest in peace, uh, Yuli Albertovic. And then another bit of sad news was that uh, Spartak's legendary manager, Oleg Romantsev, suffered a heart attack on Tuesday. And he was 67 at the time. Now, his condition is assessed as moderate. He's, doctors have diagnosed him with an acute coronary syndrome and he's been taken out of an ICU, the intensive care unit. So we wish him all the best in his recovery and, and he can stay strong. Uh, so, Ilya, I'm sure that Most of our listeners probably already follow you in your, your memes on Twitter, but can you remind everyone where to find yourself online? And I believe that you'll be covering the Dynamo game for RFN this weekend as well. Yeah. Uh, first of all, if you have Clubhouse, uh, I'll go live from the stadium uh, during Dynamo Tambov. Uh, so if you want to listen to my comments instead of watching this horrible game, uh, join me. Yeah, and my Twitter is Loka Sokol. It's easy to find. It's like Loka as in locomotive and Sokol as in my last name, Sokolov. This has been the RFN Podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет